Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode 197 of the podcast for April 29th, 2014. I apologize it's been over a month since the last episode, but got a, re- a couple of great ones coming up, including today's discussion with a hospital leader I really respect. Uh, her name is Kim Barnes. She is the author of a brand new book called Beyond Heroes that's uh, just been published by the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Value. So until very recently, Kim was a senior VP and a leader at Theta Care, the health system, where she was leading Appleton Medical Center and Theta Clark Hospital. Um, she has a lot of great experience, a lot to teach all of us, I think, regardless of industry, uh, about lean leadership and uh, lean culture and what we can do from a really practical perspective. So I, I certainly hope you'll check out the book. Um, Kim is also doing a free webinar for the Lean Enterprise Institute on May 6th. And you can find links um, to that. Uh, to the book, um, to the upcoming Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit that I'll be attending and participating in uh, in June. Kim's going to be a keynote speaker there. So if you go to leanblog.org slash 197, there's a bunch of links for a lot of free things you can take advantage of. Spend $35 on the book, and, and if you've got the budget for it, um, the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, um, it's now the fifth annual event. Uh, this is by far the best Lean Healthcare Conference um, of the year. So I hope I'll see you there. Um, anyway, back to the podcast. Kim and I are going to talk about, um, you know, why the idea of heroes um, can, can be overrated or actually create chaos uh, in healthcare. Back to the title of the book, Beyond Heroes. Um, we're also going to talk about, I'm going to put her on the spot a little bit, you know, asking her what she would do if she was leading General Motors um, and that GM has a new Speak Up for Safety campaign that the CEO announced and I'm kind of skeptical about. Uh, I've blogged about that recently, but Kim has some really good thoughts about how to get the environment to a point where it's not just about employees speaking up, but about leaders listening and uh, and collaborating with people. So lots of great insights from Kim. Uh, But again, go to leanblog.org slash 197 for links. And you can also go to leancast.org for all past episodes. Thanks for listening. Well, Kim, hi. It's great to talk to you, and it's a real pleasure to have you as a guest on the podcast. Thanks for being here. Well, I'm delighted to be invited and excited about our conversation. Yeah, well, I think we, we've got so much to talk about between the great things you've been doing uh, at ThetaCare, what you've been sharing and teaching with people through um, articles and talks, and now uh, the new book, uh, Beyond Heroes. 
um, that is now available and uh, we'll, we'll talk about um, how people can find that later and I'll, I'll have links on the blog. Um, I, I had a chance to read an early version of the book and uh, really, really enjoyed it. I, I think it's a book that's going to be very helpful to a lot of organizations. So congratulations on that, Kim. Well, thank you. It certainly was a labor of love, had lots of help and support, and I want to thank you for that. You were one of those folks that gave me some good advice. But I tried to take this book and make it a story so that it's a, a little bit less academic and a little bit more about our journey and the stories that um, I think will help people learn. I, and I think it hit the mark. Those stories uh, are powerful and you know, uh, it makes this really... Uh, real uh, for, for people in other organizations. And so before we talk about the book, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to maybe start and I'm, I'm curious to hear some of your reflections about when you first learned about Lean, you know, where you were in the organization. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, that you were at Theta Care when this was all getting started. And I'm curious to hear about what role you were in and, and some of that early journey of, of how you reacted or what your early experiences were about Lean. Well, it's kind of fun to reflect on those days because I learned so much and I, I knew so little about lean. And in fact, I considered myself one of those spontaneous people that lean would never um, be able to tame me. <laughs> and so um, it's kind of fun to look back and be in this position today. So when we started lean and John Toussaint brought it to Theta Care, I was a vice president in the hospital division. And um, one of the first uh, value streams was our open heart value stream. So my first Kaizen event, my first value stream experience was with our open heart team. Um, we actually had brought in a, uh, a consultant to teach us lean. Um, and the focus of that um, group was to really be on value stream analysis and Kaizen events and uh, two P's, three P's and projects that came out of those. One day, when I was you know, really struggling with this language, I had my little lexicon book in front of me mm -hmm. all the time. We had a new sensei who joined us and he said to me, I don't know anything about healthcare. And I said, I don't know anything about lean. So here's the deal. If you teach me lean, I will teach you healthcare. And so that was Jose Bastillo and we started our journey together and I still consider him my personal sensei, but he helped me understand how deep lean can go and he helped me understand how it really helps develop our people and build our people into stronger um, participants in the process to own the work and to see improvement as uh, a, an opportunity for them rather than a burden. Yeah, because I think there's a concern there that, you know, taking on your kind of new roles, uh, new responsibilities in, in a lean leadership style is adding new things to people's plate. This is something I end up talking with people uh, about a lot. And you know, I'm curious from, from your own experience or what you've seen with other leaders, is, is there kind of a period where it is a, a bit of an extra burden because we're learning something new, it's uncomfortable, and then we kind of work through uh, a cycle where it becomes more comfortable? I think you summarized it really well. I think in the beginning, because you're on a learning curve and it's a big change, um, it's kind of exhausting and it's kind of trying to understand how this fits with my real work. And until people recognize that this becomes your mm -hmm. real work, it feels additive. And so um, you have to create the capacity in your day and in the day of your 
um, peers and your employees to make sure that they have the time to learn and experiment with it and celebrate it. And then when it becomes part of their thought process, it changes the culture. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point of, of that idea of creating the capacity. Um, there, there's some things I'll, I'll let you talk about that Theta Care, I think, has gotten fairly well known for in terms of creative ways or systemic ways to trying to free up time, if you can talk about that and some of the other ways you cre actually create that capacity. Well, in the beginning, we, um, we took people offline, we hired facilitators, and we um, gave them the time to learn through the Kaizen process, which, by the way, I think is critical. You know, I'm going to talk later about our management system, but I don't believe you, you can have a management system without the rest of the lean package. That's just part of it. And so John was really um, elegant in his perception that we needed to develop our leaders, and so many of our leaders left their leadership role to become facilitators. And that created the capacity for them to learn. And then as we um, moved into our events, we pulled people offline for the week um, to, to do that work. And then we created time to um, teach them in the work. We made them the communicators and the owners in the work. What we also did in the beginning was um, rather than uh, taking the waste out and cashing it in every time, Sometimes the cashing in was investing in our people to create time in their day to do improvement work. And that was a, a um, pretty significant investment and it, and it really paid off. And then later on, and at, at what point there's the, uh, the, the famous no meeting zone, or I don't know if that's the exact okay. term that's used, but can you, can you talk about that as a different way of freeing up time? Uh, yes. And now that came later uh, as we decided we were going to develop a management system. Um, one of my concerns was how are we going to have the time to do this work? And so the leadership team in the hospital at that time had a, had a conversation about it. And I said, I think we need um, an hour or two a day to learn how to manage and how to work on improvement. And one of my colleagues said, I agree. I think we should have a no meeting zone. And I said, I think it should be from 8 to 10. We should start our day that way. And the COO at that time, Matt Furlan, said, I agree. Let's have a no meeting zone from 8 to 10. So that's the scientific method that we used to get to the no meeting zone. <laughs> and it was profoundly effective. It still exists today. That was in uh, 2000. Eight, I believe that we we formally set that and what we do uh, in the no meeting zone is we go to Gemba we work on projects we influence each other we look at um, our huddle boards we um, we do our stat sheets we have conversations but and we may still have a meeting here and there so the goal is 80% of the time you're in the Gamba 20% of the time you may have to go to a system meeting or you may have to meet with physicians because that's the time that they have available but it is very effective and it's um, been very much embraced in the hospitals yeah so I guess the scientific method aspect of it was there was this this uh, hypothesis that creating that no meeting zone would be helpful and, and that's what played out exactly. through those experiments. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, having a culture of scientific experimentation um, and, and is different in a lot of ways than a culture of heroes. And I, I'd like to kind of bring things back to the title of the book because I think it's an interesting title and a, and a provocative title. 
beyond heroes. You know, a lot of people think, well, wait a minute, heroes, that's a good thing. Heroes, um, it's a very positive connotation. They're doing great things. They're going above and beyond. But, you know, why, why would you say, or, you know, tell us about the title, Moving Beyond Heroes. Why do heroes sometimes really not make things as, as effective as they as they could be? And, and uh, you're proposing, I assume, some alternatives to that heroic behavior. Can you talk about that? I, I think, you know, there is still a role for heroes in the hospital. I think it's a limited role. I think when you have a physician who's trained to do surgery a specific way and to think in a critical way we, and, and something doesn't go well because the anatomy is different, the physiology is different, the equipment fails, you want somebody that can be heroic uh, in terms of taking um, that next step. But everything around him or everything around that work should be managed by a process. And if you manage the process and the right equipment is in the right place at the right time and it's clean and it's positioned correctly, it makes the flow of all of the work much more effective and doesn't require the nurse or the, um, you know, the, the CNA or another staff person to be heroic in trying to find and grab and clean and move things around. So when we talk about heroics, we really think about how do we use teams to develop processes, and within those teams, how do we experiment with the process and create the standardized work and the standardized process? And then once we have that standardization, how do we see the variation from that process and come back and improve it again as a team so that there's not one hero that comes back and makes the changes that everyone else has to influence? The second aspect of that is we have 6,000, 6,500 people that are all, we want to make changes every day. If we weren't making changes in a methodical process way, those 6,000 heroes would create chaos. Hmm. And so it's really important that we understand um, why the processes are in place. We recognize that you improve from understanding the variation and that you have a controlled experiment for improvement so you always have the best known way to solve the problem or to do the process. Mm -hmm. And is it fair to say that the part of our brain uh, and our motivation that kicks in to be a hero is now something that's used much more rarely, you know, that, that occasionally there's still going to be time for a hero, but it shouldn't be a regular everyday thing? Exactly. We want people to use their brain and to use critical thinking. Mm -hmm. And we think by establishing stable processes and allowing them to improve them, we're actually creating more value. There is still a role for a hero from time to time, but it should not be an everyday occurrence. Yeah. And there's there's one thing that you said there that uh, maybe I'd like to ask you for an example of. When you say creating more value, I, mean, I think that's a key lean idea. Sometimes people get so wrapped up in the idea of you know eliminating waste. Um, but can, can you give an example of uh, where lean has helped uh, staff, physicians, you know, provide more value or the right value uh, for patients? Um, I think about when we are um, using our collaborative care model and we have used our lean methodology to develop how the, um, the team works together with the patient and their family. 
So when you're part of that team, you're the pharmacist or you're the physician or the nurse or you're the patient or their family member, when you get together and you follow the, um, the protocol of discussion for a care conference so that everybody is on the, pa the same page, you not only create value because the patient knows why they're there, what's going to happen next, what their medications are, who their nurse is, who their doctor is, um, what their care plan is, when they plan to go home, and you have one conversation and the pharmacist is there saying these are the medications that you're on and I'm going to help you understand how to take them when you get home and everybody's working from the same uh, playbook it eliminates the redundant work that every one of them had to do in the past by reiterating their part of the care plan and not being connected to a, a whole process and so I think it adds huge value to everybody to have that one conversation but it also re removes the waste in the process of reiterating and redoing and reworking those processes based on your um, particular um, perspective, nursing or physician perspective. Yeah, and is it fair to say, I mean, we talk about, I know there's been goals for productivity improvement at ThetaCare. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people, and I, I blogged about this recently, people talk about, you know, focus on the doing more with less um, you know, and, and, and unfortunately then, you know, people are just thinking about, oh no, you know, less, less people, but the doing more part, I mean, can you talk about instances where, uh, perhaps productivity improvement led to increased capacity and, and maybe being able to do more with basically the same resources, the same number of people? I think that that's a, a really important concept that you have to have a plan. So just trying to do more with less makes no sense at all, especially at the bedside. And so if you say to your team, okay, guys, we're going to get 3% productivity improvement, go get it. If you don't have a plan to do that, you start doing silly things like cutting back hours or cutting back uh, education and those kinds of things. And we have all done that. Um, if we've been in healthcare for any length of time at all. And so one of the things that we are doing uh, at ThetaCare, specifically in the hospital division, it's been an experiment that will spread through the system, is every unit has their own value stream map where they're looking at their patient flows and where their opportunities for waste removal are. So when they pull out waste, then how do they create capacity in the schedule of the nurse or the schedule of the physician or the others? And so um, that's how we um, try to target our productivity improvement. Um, again, I think it's really important. There's so much happening in healthcare right now. I, I'm a little concerned about the effect of only taking a productivity uh, approach without a plan on nursing. Right. Nurses have so much that they're responsible for. They are the reason that hospitals exist. They, they're, they're the touch of the patient and value is added when they're there to listen, to talk, to educate, to support that family. And I want to be sure that that's never what gets cut. I want the other things like a more efficient medication distribution process to give them an extra 20 minutes or an extra 40 minutes in their shift that they can then spend with patients. Um, so those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. Yeah, and, and I apologize. I'm, certainly, I'm not one normally to fixate on productivity. Um, maybe if, if you can recap for listeners who aren't familiar, I mean, I think one thing that's impressive about Theta Care is the clear articulation of the true north objectives that include uh, safety and, and quality. Uh, for, for people who don't know, could you kind of recap at least kind of what the latest sure. iteration of that true north looks like? 
Uh, our True North metrics, we consider uh, how we measure the health of our organization. And um, one aspect of True North should never be um, done at the sacrifice of another. And so at the top, we, we look at it as a triangle. And in the middle of the triangle is our customer, our patient, and we actually give her a name. She's called Lori. And everything we do is around Lori. It's to improve the experience of Lori. At the top of our triangle, we're looking at safety and quality. Um, and, and we have metrics around uh, mortality and safety bundles and uh, those kinds of things at the top. And, and then on the lower left-hand side of the triangle, we talk about our people, our engagement, how do we take care of our, our people. And then on the right side of the triangle is financial stewardship, not productivity, financial stewardship. Mm -hmm. And so we try to keep all of those things in balance and, and assure that we have metrics around those at a system level, and then that cascades down to the divisional level, and then it cascades down to the front line. So all of the work that we do, that we resource in a significant way, has to tie to those True North metrics so that from the frontline staff to the CEO, we're all rowing in the same direction. And so on, on that note, I mean, that, that's one thing that... I've been so impressed by when I've been able to visit Fedicare is that that alignment there. You get that sense people are rowing in the right direction. That seems like such an important aspect of a lean management system. So I was wondering, you know, on that note, you know, can you describe, you know, what, you know, maybe some of the origins or how you would define, you know, a quote unquote lean management system as something to build upon lean methods, rapid improvement events, really creating that culture. So we were into our journey about two years when we decided to get um, some exposure to daily continuous improvement. And the way we moved forward with that was to run an experiment where we took one of the facilitators that was trained by our consultants and our sensei, and we um, picked out a manager and we sent that facilitator and that manager to, see a, to, to find a problem on their unit and create uh, a way to work that problem daily. So they created visual management. They did um, uh, an A3, and they, you know, were looking at root cause. And the facilitator stayed with that manager for 30 days, and then they left. And the manager was left to manage that process on his or her own. And what we found was. Um, other things got in the way. That may have been the priority 30 days ago, but this next 30 days we have another priority and then we have another priority and pretty soon that was lost. And so um, after trying that uh, a couple of different times, I met with my sensei who had worked in other uh, organizations that had some kind of a system. And I'm embarrassed to say this, but it's important that people hear it. Um, he and I went to dinner every time he was here for like a year and he pulled out a napkin at every dinner and he drew me this picture and he said Kim this is a cell and when you improve things in one cell then you can spread it to two and if it works in two then you can spread it to four and if it works in four then you can spread it everywhere and I and I would say you know that's really nice thank you for sharing that with me um, and being the Socratic sensei that he was uh, he would never tell me what he really meant one day I got it, and what he was trying to say was, um, you can't just um, you, you can't sustain things by sending a facilitator to lead something and expect people who have no infrastructure to spread it. Mm. And so um, I asked him 
to teach me in a less Socratic way, more as a subject matter expert, what it looks like in industry. And so he drew me pictures and we had a lot of conversations and we pulled in another sensei and we actually did a Kaizen-like event where we spent a week looking at what does good look like in industry that has a structure, an infrastructure to support their lean methodologies. And in particular, we were thinking about how do we sustain the gains that we have been getting from our value streams and our Kaizen events. And so in that event, we actually came up with 56 pieces of standard work that we thought we needed to create um, to make this system structure begin. Uh, a month later, we pulled together 30 other team members and we started writing the standard work and then we began experimenting with it. So it took us about two years to get to the point where we actually had a foundation of a management system. And so then, boy, having a foundation of a management system and all this time, I mean, this is this is by no means a quick fix, was it? To, to really it is change. Not. Yeah, it's not. What, what were some of the next things that that moved it along or um, maybe even in hindsight might have um, been able to move things along? Um, I don't know if if faster was even would that, that even been helpful or was it just did it was it important that it went along? Was it sort of moving at a natural and sustainable pace? I think that it needed to take us that long because we needed to experiment with it and we didn't really know where we were going, to be honest. We sort of had this vision at the end of what it would look like, but we didn't know what all the pieces were going to be. So, um, you know, I, I need to be really clear that this is how we developed a management system. We're hoping that by us talking about it and writing the book and sharing the book that other people can do this much quickly, much more quickly. And we, in fact, have seen that where we have actually taught other systems and they're up and running within a year. Um, they're actually running within six months and running smoothly within a year. So I believe that it, it needed to take us that long because the way we went about it was we wrote the standard work and then we um, we chose two VPs with two managers each to be our developmental experimental labs. And we'd go and we'd, we'd, we'd execute the standard work with two facilitators watching us and making notes. And then we'd come back and critique it and tweak the standard work. And the next day we'd go back and do it again. And when it, we thought it was running well enough in one cell, one unit, then we'd spread it to a second cell and see, does it work as well there? And so before we actually got into any spread methodology, we worked with four primary cells and we ran experiments every week. And I mean, did, I guess the thing about experiments were, were most of those experiments successful? Were some of them just okay and you had to tweak it? Were, were any of them, you know, a, a quote unquote failed experiment as part of that learning process? Well, t you know, we experienced failure when things didn't go the way we thought they would, but I don't think any of those experiments truly failed. We learned from what didn't work and we made it better. And so, uh, when you know the the best example I can give is when we first started trying to do a stat sheet, we we took the the VP and the manager and the the lead supervisor to um, to ask these questions, and they'd ask these questions, and then when we get done, we'd say. 
did that help you? Is that going to help you manage your business any different today? And they'd say no. And we'd say, what would help you? What are the questions that would make your day better? And so we'd go back and we'd experiment with those. And then it was, okay, so we're asking these questions and we're getting yes or no answers. Is that really what we want? Mm. Isn't the purpose of this to, to get to their critical thinking? So how do we ask questions differently? So how do we, now that we're asking these questions and we're understanding where our problems are, and by the way, we're seeing problems we never knew we had, um, how do we coach them to improve? And then how do we use the lean tools? How do we teach at that level A3 thinking in the work? And so it uncovered lots of opportunities. None of them were failures, but we learned that we weren't going deep enough in the beginning and how to go deeper each time we do it. And, and I would venture to say that if you go see a stat sheet now after eight years in those units, it looks nothing like it did when we started. And I guess that's the point. We're, we're on a continuous improvement journey, and so we continually change. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, I mean, that's a really healthy attitude to try to bring into the organization that a quote unquote failure um, is, is not something to punish people for, but something to learn from and, and to build upon. And so kind of, you know, thinking, moving things in a little bit different direction um, okay. in terms of, you know, trying to change culture and, and, and responding to things. There's been a lot in the news recently about General Motors and, and, the, the, the CEO there, Mary Barra, has this big push in this program, and I, I get skeptical of programs, but it's called, you know, speak up for safety. And they're trying to encourage all the employees, if you see a problem, you know, you should speak up. And um, and they promise, well, OK, of course, we won't retaliate against you and we want we're going to help you. We're going to respond. But the, the traditional culture at GM is one where a lot of times people tried to speak up and, and the system, you know, managers, the culture wouldn't let them. Um, so I'm curious, you know, kind of, you know, thinking about culture change in healthcare, there's often similar dynamics of, of trying to encourage people uh, to speak up and to, to call out near misses and, and to do a better job of reporting errors. Are, do you have any reflections on all the time you've been involved in what helps create a culture where, where people are speaking up and things are actually being fixed? Um, I think it's very important that the leadership is present in the work and that it's a conversation, not a reporting. Mm. And so um, I would love to say that we were stellar at safety and we're really working hard at that. So, you know, my teams would make safety rounds every day. And as part of our huddles, we always ask safety questions and, and solving safety problems is um, it's for some reason it's harder than you think it's going to be but it's not because people won't speak up anymore mm -hmm. so let me just talk about an average week at theta care or an average day on monday morning my leadership team meets at our huddle board our visual management and we talk about what happened last week how are we driving performance have we improved where did we fall down what do we need to do differently and when now that we know that we've got this where can we go and see it the second question is, are there any, any safety concerns? And so we bring our safety officers with us and we take our managers and we all divide up the hospital. We go to different floors and we're looking for safety issues in a way that says, how can we help you? So people are, are pretty comfortable speaking up at that point. Mm -hmm. When we see safety issues, we then bring that to the the stat sheet in the morning on the next day and also to the huddle. Uh, of course, if it's an eminent safety issue, we do something on the spot. 
Um, safety is yeah. number one. So um, it comes to the huddle board. So let's say um, we noticed that there was a cord hanging in front of the bed of the patient where there was a blood pressure cuff. The safety issue is that somebody could knock that off. They could hit somebody in the head. They could break the equipment. They could, you know, it could fall and um, hurt a patient. So if you see that and you go to the huddle, which is a couple hours later and say, this is what I saw. How can we make this better on your unit? And if it works, then how do we spread it somewhere else? And is there somebody who has a particular interest on your unit that would like to help us solve this safety problem? And it, you know, you never, whoever brought you the concern, you never assign the follow-up to them because once you do that, no one will ever bring you anything again. So when someone brings forward a defect, we ask for volunteers and then we offer the resources to help them solve it. So we give them a facilitator to support the A3 thinking and the root cause analysis. The manager may join them if there seems to be some sort of a power differential in terms of working with another unit to get it done. Uh, we decide whether this is a big enough project that we could just do it. It takes three steps or less. Or do we need to have an event because it involves another floor? So there's a lot of discussion about how do we support the improvement. Not, there's not a blaming aspect to it in any way. Wow. And any interest in going and helping GM with all this? <laughs> Are you volunteering? I'm, vol I'm trying to volunteer you or I'm nominating you. Uh, they could probably use some help because that's an organization much bigger than 6,500 people. So it's a much bigger culture change challenge. Um, it's hard to move. Yeah. Um, well, final final question after putting you on the spot with, with GM talk. Gosh, we're talking about healthcare. Um, and maybe this is a question that applies to people even if they're not in healthcare. Um, if you would have advice for, you know, aspiring lean leaders, let's say there's people who are in the middle of their organization, they're, they're a director, they're a vice president, They've done great things with lean, you know, locally within a department or a value stream, but they're, you know, they think, gosh, you know, the organization's not moving fast enough. Uh, we don't have that support from the top. Um, what, what would your advice be to them? Well, I think it's very hard to move forward without the support from the top. And the way that you get support from the top is you show them results. And so what we found with our lean management system was we started with those four cells and when all of them were doing better on their metrics than everyone else, then people wanted to know what was the magic. And so the, they said BPS. And so then we had a, a next class with eight managers in it. And, and, and when they started doing really well, more people wanted to come. So, you know, positive results garner support and, and garner pull. And I think it's really important to not push these kinds of things, but to create the environment where people see the benefit and pull for it. So my advice is to start somewhere mm -hmm. and to show results and engage your one-ups and find ways to celebrate and present your work to them. But when you start seeing those results, other people will take notice. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for, for sharing uh, that advice. And um, to, to wrap up here, um, you know, again, the, the, the book is called Beyond Heroes. And you know, I, I really recommend, I mean, people who are either working in healthcare or just interested in healthcare. Um, so it's a really well done book. And I wanna um, you know, thank you and applaud you for, for, for that, Kim. I know you and all the other people at Theta Care who help um, share these stories. Uh, can you talk a little bit about 
where, where are the best ways people can find the book, other resources and information about, about it? Well, my understanding is that it will be on sale at the center. Um, the website is createvalue.org on the 29th of April. I know there's some planning for it to be available through Amazon at some point, and there will be a Kindle version at some point. I don't actually have firm dates on that yet, but it will be available for purchase on the 29th. The website is createvalue.org. And if, if people have um, questions or want to follow up with you, can they contact you through the center or, or through the website there for the book? Um, they should contact me through the center. Okay. And again, that's that's createvalue.org. Um, well, again, uh, Kim Barnes, it's, it's so I'm so happy we're able to finally have you as a guest on the podcast. When we started talking about this, I thought, oh, should I, oh no, wait, no, I haven't interviewed you yet. So I'm really happy that we had the chance to do that. Um, hopefully we, we can uh, do this again sometime because there's so much more I think we could delve into. Um, hopefully you'd be open to that. I would be totally open to that and welcome it. So thank you so much for inviting me and I hope I added some value today. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you did and I hope I didn't create too much waste uh, in the process <laughs> for us getting there. Um, but thank you. Uh, thanks for a really good interview. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.